Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Mini edition. It's actually not a super mini edition. It's more of a special edition. Mm-hmm. A limited edition shiny Pokemon, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and we're, it's kind of, yeah, busting the mold of the minis that we've been doing in a lot of good ways. In a lot of good ways. So this episode is probably going to be a little bit longer than some of our other mini-sets. It also is going to be more discussion-based. And we're going to be talking about things that are really important in chemistry, but it's more social science. We're going to delve into depths that we've not delved into before. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So a very exciting episode is planned for today. Jim already knows this, so I guess I'm just telling the listeners. Mm-hmm. We have a guest expert. Our guest expert is Vianette. She loves the podcast. Once she got very excited to see Jam and I, who she also knows in real life, <laughs> yeah. out at a restaurant. <laughs> and she's known us well before we ever did the podcast. So it's like, yeah. yes. I had just listened to y'all in my car. So it was like <laughs> hearing you in my car and walking to the restaurant. And yeah. I was just meeting a famous person. Yeah. I mean, it made us feel great. So we appreciate <laughs> it. So the encouragement that we get from Vianette has fueled this podcast in many ways. It's so true. So she listened. She also reviews the podcast. So one of the reviewers that we always thank at the end of the episode, Vienna is one of those. She loves science and she is a great friend and she's also an incredible professional. She is a licensed professional counselor and she currently works as a counselor. So she's a different kind of expert. She's not a chemist, but she's still welcome here. Well, thank you. We call it the soft sciences. Oh, I don't know. That seems like it's kind of discriminating against your science. That is true. The social sciences. Social sciences. I like that. She's a social scientist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And she's actually here to talk about something that is very, very common in a lot of professions, but especially in science. And that's something that many scientists I know personally have struggled with called imposter syndrome. Also sometimes known as imposter phenomenon. Hmm. And I'm really excited that she's able to come and address this because this is so prevalent in the sciences. And I know that many of our listeners are interested in science as a career path or on the path to being a scientist already. And so we really want to address this issue now that we have a little bit of flexibility in these fall mini episodes. Mm-hmm. So Vina, would you start by telling us some about your experience as a counselor, some of your education and what some of the jobs you've done? Of course. I have a bachelor's degree in rehabilitation studies, which is a big word for I studied addictions and disabilities. Wow. And then I have a master's degree in clinical mental health sciences. Uh, Wow, that sounds fancy. It does. It's a lot. Actually, as I said that, I'm like, that's a really lengthy degree. (laughs) And I currently work at a middle school. I am a crisis counselor, which means that I meet with all the kids that are having anxiety or suicide ideation or Mm self-harm. And with the ongoing pandemic, it is really, really prevalent right now. I bet. So that's what I'm doing. And then before that, I was a career counselor at a local university. But I've always worked at a private practice and I primarily work with Spanish speaking clients there. And why do you work with Spanish-speaking clients, Vianette? Oh, because I am a Spanish speaker. It's actually my first language. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. Being bilingual is pretty cool. I didn't always think that, though, which we can dive into when we talk about being an imposter. 
But it's definitely cool. Absolutely. It is really cool. And we love that you are here on our show today. Yes. Ooh, me thank too. you for coming. Okay. So I'm ready to dive in and learn all about imposter phenomenon. It's so fun to be the person learning on an episode. I love <laughs> learning new things. So. Yeah. And it's interesting to be outnumbered by experts. I'm like, <laughs> I've got, there's a two on one deal here where I'm like, I'm not an expert in either of the things that are, are kind of the podcast, at least for this episode. So I am going to learn a lot too. But you are an expert in the podcast making, which is why we're all here today. So thank you for that. Yes, you're welcome. I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about it because it's not nearly as interesting for most people, <laughs> but it is there. It's subtly there. That's bringing the noise to your ears right now. Yes. Yes. You guys are welcome. All right, Vianette, take it away. Yeah. So I just wanted to start off by asking both of you, when was the last time you guys felt really competent in something? And then when was the last time you felt really incompetent in something? Dang. That's such a good question. That is a good question. And I have a quick answer because I experience both of these poles of emotion regularly. Mm -hmm. I felt very competent. Recently, I went to a conference. I got to share actually about chemistry for your life there at the conference. And I was able to go to a lot of talks about chemistry education and research. And I learned how much I learned because I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of questions. And I felt oh, I really belong here at this conference. I, mm. I know what's going on. So that was a good feeling. Probably not this week because I was at the conference, but probably every single time I teach, I have a feeling of fear that I'm not competent enough. Mm -hmm. But I think the last big time was actually about the podcast. Sometimes I worry that I'm really not qualified to teach as many people as I'm teaching here on the podcast. So yeah. Really right before we decided to switch to fall minis, I was feeling kind of overwhelmed and had that feeling about being on the show, actually. Mm. That's kind of how I felt when you asked me to be on it. So, <laughs> so you get yeah, it. I totally yeah. get it. <laughs> it is scary when you think about how many people are going to be learning from you. But I know you're qualified, just like you know I'm qualified. Exactly. But it's hard to believe that about yourself. Yeah. What about you, Jam? Okay, this is a hard one, and I wish I maybe had like known ahead of time, but I have some answers that I thought of that aren't maybe the most recent, but are somewhat recent. So yesterday, you guys, most of you know that I work for uh, our church, and some of the work that I do is just spending time with people and talking through you know, kind of what they're dealing with in the moment. Yeah. And uh, that's hard, and it's not something I often feel qualified to do. Yeah. Yesterday, there was a guy I was spending time with who a simple, he had a kind of simple question about conflict with somebody. And it wasn't really, it was actually something I've experienced before. Right. And we've all had conflict with people. In this case, just in the moment, when a surprising, that's not normal for me, not feeling like very confident often, that I had a handful of things that immediately came to mind that I was able to share. And I thought like, you know, I actually think that that was pretty good. <laughs> for once or whatever. For once. <laughs> and so for me, I, I don't ever feel like so puffed up that I'm like, I am unstoppable. It yeah. doesn't happen to me, but I felt good in that, in that, after that conversation. But then about a week and a half ago, another church related thing where it was, there was an event that I was planning that we were all at. Oh yeah. And I had to do a lot of work for this retreat and had to speak at it. And I felt like an imposter the entire time. Man. And even like while I was speaking was just feeling like I'm not, I'm not an expert in this and don't feel like really confident that I know what I'm talking about, but I have to just get through it anyway and sort of pretend like I do. And so, yeah, and it was hard. It was like a weekend full of nothing but that being feeling. an imposter. Yeah. Well, no so. one could tell. You did amazing. Nope. 
Hidden toe. Wow. I tricked you guys. <laughs> We've been tricked. But that's a great question. Thing. Thanks for asking that. Yeah, of course. And I want to encourage the listeners to also just take a minute to think of that also for yourself. When was the last time you felt really competent in a situation? And when was the last time you felt like you were not competent in that situation? Mm. Yeah. And to add that for our listeners, I would encourage you all to think about which of those was easier to think about. For myself, when I was um, going through my notes, I know that I could think of multiple times when I felt like an imposter and very few where I was like, oh, I really knew what I was talking about. Mm, mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely keep that in mind. But I just want to define it just in case um, anyone doesn't know what the imposter syndrome is. But a person with imposter syndrome has a constant fear of being exposed as a fraud because they believe that they have fooled everyone around them into overrating their abilities and their competence. Mm. So very similar to what Jam was saying, that feeling that he had all last weekend. And even the name imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon, imposter effect, those are all different ways to describe what we believe what a lot of people have believed to be an internal feeling. Mm. And it's why they use words like imposter or effect or phenomenon. All three of those, I actually don't like any of them. Mm. Imposter implies that it has to do something about me. Right. Mm -hmm. I believe that I am not qualified, which there is some aspect to that. Yeah. Phenomenon implies that it's something that just happens. No reason for it. Mm. It Uh just it just occurs. Right, right. Yeah. And in fact, I actually have heard that one the least. And right now, earlier, Melissa, she said, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard that one too. So I haven't had too much time to think about what I believe. But yeah. imposter sy- syndrome and phenomenon just both have a negative connotation. Yeah, definitely. Right. So some research suggests that what we know as the imposter syndrome could be a leftover form of anxiety, a primitive survival mechanism meant to anticipate potential threats. So Mm. if you always felt like something bad uh, was was about to happen, then you were always ready for it. Other research suggests that a self-induced feeling of failure or low self-esteem serves as an internal mechanism to constantly seek higher levels of achievement. Dang. Which is a therapist just sounds terrible to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, I want to do well for other reasons than just feeling terrible about myself the whole time. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the difference of like, almost like the difference of positive reinforcement and negative. It's like, <gasps> almost like it's saying evolutionarily negative reinforcement helped us grow, but no one likes that compared to positive. No, you yeah, know? I mean, not. I guess if we're getting eaten by a lion, then maybe, yeah, yeah you know, right. That would be negative for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So from my own experience as a therapist, I think that regardless of the genetic reasons why humans experience imposter syndrome, there are some systemic issues in our society that exacerbate what may or may not be a genetic human trait. And that's especially true if you're part of underrepresented populations, but it's true for everyone. So I want to make that make sure that's clear throughout that yeah. I'm going to be speaking a lot about women specifically and women of color, but that that doesn't mean that they're the only ones who experience it. Right, yeah. right. And so... Just to clarify right off the bat, I believe that imposter syndrome has more to do with how people are treated in their environments than with an internal lack, an internal um, locus of control or a lack of self-esteem. Got That's it. interesting. Hmm. I yeah. wouldn't have thought that. Just from my own experience, I always think it's my own fault that I feel that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. And I actually, that is a new belief for me. So one of the big changes that I've had in how I view imposter syndrome occurred at a conference two years ago. And the presenters talked about how it has more to do with how people are treated in their environments than with an internal sense of who they are or a lack of self-esteem. 
And so I'm not saying that there isn't an internal aspect to it, but I am saying that whatever natural genetic feeling may be there is often exacerbated or lessened by their environment. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I've been a scientist into different environments and just in my anecdotal experience where I was treated really well, that's the environment I'm in now. My bosses are so kind, so encouraging. I have those thoughts, but I can kind of calm them down with Mm. reality. But when I was in a less nurturing environment, I didn't have any evidence to counteract those beliefs. And so I just really lived in them a lot more. And I think that's true for women in most fields. I was just thinking about how when I get up in the morning, if I want to make sure that the teachers that I work with or even the students that I'm trying to help feel better or their parents that I'm going to have to wear makeup. I know that if I don't wear makeup, they're going to ask me if I'm tired, if I feel sick, if something happened. They're going to tell me I can take the day off because I clearly need some time off. So even in just making sure that I am seen as a qualified professional, I already have to put on literally a face every morning to be seen as, hey, you're qualified versus my colleagues who are male. They just show up to work in uh, jeans and a T-shirt. Got it. Got it. And I think in some situations, men do try to appear professional, but I definitely think the expectation is in those same situations is higher on women. There are examples where I would not feel comfortable going into a conference in jeans or wearing no makeup while I know that my male counterparts will do that. I even saw that at the conference I was at that week, Mm. this past week. And I would say as a guy, I don't think it's as like when I want to dress nice, I want to be seen in a certain way, but I don't directly think it has to do with how much people perceive my knowledge or experience or expertise necessarily. Mm, Right. I think it's, it's kind of separate. Like obviously looking nice has its own value. Right. And it, we all, we, some, some of us just like to look nice. That's one thing for sure. But I don't feel like I've experienced a difference of people thinking I'm either smarter or more knowledgeable or less. Right. Specifically based on what I wear. That, yeah. I don't know that for sure, but I definitely don't feel like I've experienced that. I definitely have experienced that. I dress a certain way to teach because of that fear. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah even on like comfy days at my job, I always make sure to wear something that looks remotely nice in case a parent randomly shows up. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. That's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. And one of the examples that I wanted to talk about didn't happen to me, but it happened to a coworker at different place of work than where I'm at right now. And she already felt like she didn't quite um, fit in or belong in our uh, field. She was very short. So always was told like, oh my gosh, you're so cute, even though she was a 30-year-old woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we were at an event where a speaker came and the speaker, um, we were being introduced to her and the speaker all of a sudden saw her and she was wearing braids. She was a black woman and the speaker literally grabs her and starts sniffing her hair in front of a room full of professionals and starts asking her, so how often do you wash these? And then if I was your mama with a black scent, I would make sure that you wash these every day. Oh, and yeah. literally oh, no man. one in the room said anything, myself included. So I I feel a lot of regret when I think about like I didn't speak up. Yeah. And this, this peer, she left that job within like two months after that. Mm. And it was just kind of like she already felt like I don't do a good job in this position. I don't really have the knowledge to be here. And then something like that happens. It just adds to, man, I really don't belong here. So what am I doing? I was singled out. 
something happened to me that didn't happen to anyone else. I really don't belong. Yeah. Yeah. Like with that idea of like, someone's going to find out that I tricked my way into this. Like for her, that was like a huge moment where it felt like, oh, they really did figure out I'm not supposed to be. Oh gosh. That's yeah. Awful. That was really Ugh. hard. And she's not in STEM, but I do want to move into women in STEM because I know that it's a mini. And <laughs> I just wanted to go, I just wanted to share that because it was, it's been a really prominent example of right. how an environment makes someone feel like they're, like they're less than or not really meant to be there. Yeah, totally. But when it comes to women in STEM, a study done by the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America Nice. They found that although women outnumber men in undergraduate enrollments, they are much less likely than men to major in mathematics or or science because of their internal assumption that they won't be successful Uh. and the very real aspects of discrimination they experience in the field. And then their research studied whether a candidate's appearance, male or female, impacts the ability of them to be hired if they do choose to go into math and science. And they found that women are a lot less likely to be hired if the job is going to involve some sort of analytical, mathematical or science aspect to it. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like to say personally for that, I did not feel this sense that I didn't belong in my undergrad experience, but that feeling set in very quickly when I got to graduate school and throughout my time, people have said things to me like, I'm surprised that you're an organic chemist, you know, as a woman. Mm Or I have been at institutions where there were certain professors who it was not openly discussed, but all the women knew that that professor didn't hire women or all the women knew to avoid a certain person because they treated women inappropriately Mm. and they were in positions of power. And so they, that just was sort of brushed under the rug. So with those experiences since my undergrad, I think that feeling of, I don't belong here. This isn't my field really was amplified quite a lot. And that in my current situation, I really appreciate my bosses. They treat me so well, but I still constantly have that fear that they're going to figure out that I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't work hard enough. And they're going to realize it was a mistake to take a chance on me and to let me be in this program. Mm. And so I definitely know that that feeling of from undergrad to graduate school and being with a lot of women and a lot of other people who had similar interests as mine and then going to grad school and me being, when I started actually in my graduate program, I was the only woman in the organic department. Mm. And so I did feel that sense that I don't really belong a lot heavier, I think, than some of my male counterparts. Yeah. Dang. And that's interesting how the things you mentioned, so many of them were were environmental. So like you may have already had it. And so maybe your male colleagues also did too. But then the environmental aspects of the situations you're specifically in were specific to women. Right. That would exacerbate what you're talking about. Yeah, that's perfect. And that's just, that's so interesting. So many things, the one example you gave and that one are like these environmental things are so obvious. Right. That would have a clearly unfair, like leaning to them. Right. That the men aren't worried about not many being men hired. In our, many men that I've talked to also about some of these things have no idea that they're going on while the women that are in that field or environment all know about those things. Yeah, we all yeah. have experienced them and discussed them. Whereas our male counterparts or colleagues aren't aware unless we specifically tell them, Oh, this person consistently makes me uncomfortable. Oh, this person historically won't have meetings with women, you know, then, mm. then their eyes are open and they're, then they become aware, but they don't have to worry about that on a day-to-day basis yeah. the way we do. Right, um, right. 
Actually, one of the studies that I looked at found that 98% of all professional women, regardless of their fields, experience imposter syndrome. That's almost 100%. Wow. Yeah. wow. yeah. I couldn't find one that could tell me a, a, a good a study that could tell me a percentage of men. But I did find one that said that men that do experience feelings of um, being an imposter, eventually those feelings go away. Mm. They're lessened by their environment. So maybe they started out in the chemistry department and they felt like, man, I don't really know if I'm really good at this. I, I don't know if this is the right field. But they look around in a lab and everyone looks like them. Everyone mm. else is male. Their professors right. are male. They can roll out of bed and show up to work without worrying about how they look. They're going to be treated based on their accomplishments and not based on assumptions by someone. And uh. eventually they're going to feel a little bit less than. That's not true for everyone, but for the majority of the people that from this study, that was true. I've also heard about that in the sciences. There was a panel and... There's a woman who has tenure track and a man who has tenure track. And the man talked about that feeling when they were asked a question about imposter syndrome, about how it's gone away. And the woman said, that has not been my experience at all. It is very bad still today. And she was a very accomplished, very well-respected scientist, but it was hard for her to believe that. Whereas yeah. the the man had really overcome some of those feelings over the few years that he was on the tenure track mm. position. In that same study, they found that both male and female undergrads are more likely to explain a woman's setback in science because of a factor about the person. So like Melissa could not handle the pressure and she messed up her experiment versus uh, Jam was let go from his research assistant job because his supervisor was mean. I see. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So it's like, it's about me. I did something wrong and oh, something was done to them. It wasn't their fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, wow. that varied based on gender. Interesting. Dang. Wow. Wow. And adding to some of the stuff that I just described, the lack of role models in STEM, which Melissa has already been talking about, it just adds to why women might feel like they fooled everyone and they're actually not supposed to be there. It's a never ending cycle. Women aren't represented, so they feel like imposters and don't go into STEM. And if they don't go into STEM, then women won't be represented so right. yeah, mm. it's like, how do we fix it? Yeah. Dang. Which is why I love this podcast so much. I really think that the work that y'all do is helping break down these barriers. I didn't mention it earlier, but I was actually a biochem major when I first started undergrad. And my very first day of biology, my professor had half the class stand up and I happened to be in the half that stood up and he immediately, he's just like, all of you are going to fail. Those of you that are sitting down, you're going to pass. And from then on, I had in my mind, I'm going to fail. And uh, I mean, I did. Gosh. By the time I switched majors, I was failing all Dang. of my classes. And I was running away from OCHEM because everyone talked about how terrible it was. Mm. That's my research area, but about OCHEM and people's feelings about it. But I will say, was he trying to just represent that 50% of the yes. class fails? I was going to ask the same question. Yeah. yeah. And But just the way he put it made it feel like, it reaffirmed that you were going to fail. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like, I don't think he thought about like, oh, what if like these kids already feel like they're not supposed to be there? Right. And also. Wow, that's so would, sad and makes me mad. Sorry. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I was just going to say, and also how helpful is it to be told, regardless of having people stand up or not, yeah. that right. half of you are going to fail? Like, why would that even be something that a teacher's like, mm, let me make sure I tell them how many of them are going to fail? Like that yeah. sounds not helpful at all. I to think anyone. they do it to underline how hard you're going to have to work. But I often think that you can communicate that message that you're going to have to work really hard in other ways and not 
set people up to yeah. fail. Yeah. He was the advisor for the biochem program. So I think he also felt like he was a gatekeeper. I see. Yeah. Wow. So, but that added to it. It's like this person in power mm-hmm. telling me I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean, I'm not naturally good at science, but I do love it. Yeah. So I, I think in another life I could have been a scientist. Mm -hmm. I think in this life you could have been a scientist if you'd been in an environment that fostered your love of it instead of an environment that made you believe that only a certain percentage of people could be successful or only Mm -hmm. a certain type of people. I try to start my class by saying, I want all of you to succeed. You're going to have to work hard. Here's things to help you succeed. I don't start my class by saying half of you are going to fail. I hope yeah. that they all pass, yeah. you know? So that's really interesting. And I, I definitely think there is this idea of natural ability or a type of person that could be a scientist. But I think a lot of that is the education system that kind of in some ways squashes the love of curiosity and science out of students instead of fostering that. Mm. So, mm. Oh, for sure. And I, I'm not going to go too deep into interse- intersectionality, but going back to my experience as a biochem major, in my hall, there was maybe like 10 other girls who were all biochem and they were all white women and they all studied together and they all hung out in the, like the little area um, right by the elevators where there's all these couches. Jam uh-huh. knows because we, we lived in the same hall. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Wait, you guys lived in the same hall your same year? You started college together? Uh-huh. We did. Yeah. I didn't know dorm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He mm-hmm. was A Tower maybe? Yeah, I was A. Yeah, exactly. And that was B Tower. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Pretty sweet. Can I quickly ask you to define mm-hmm. intersectionality? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So intersectionality is the idea that the barriers that you face are going to vary depending on the different identities that you hold. So like I am a woman, so there's some um, barriers that I experience because of that, but I am an educated woman. So I also have privileges because I hold a master's degree, right. like even just being on this podcast, like I would not be on this podcast without my education. Right. Right. And that often those barriers are different. So my barriers as a white woman, I definitely still have barriers that are up against me, but those are going to be different than your barriers as a woman of color. Exactly. Even though we're both women because our identities intersect with one another they're not just isolated you have this whole identity that's different than my whole identity and therefore our experiences can be very different Mm. for sure and Mm. even for men like if you're a a black man it's there's going to be some barriers or experience you can be a a white male and you come from a low-income household or you have a disability but like it's visible like you're in a wheelchair or invisible you have autism and no one knows so right. all of those things are going to add up to the level of privilege that you hold. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But even like I was saying, going back to when I was a biochem major, like there was these 10 girls and they, it felt like they were already friends. I actually don't know if they were, but they would always study together and I never felt like I could go and study with them. Right. I immediately like already felt like that's, that's not my group. So I would study alone in my uh, dorm mm. and then I'd see them and they'd get their grades back. And I went to school on a full white scholarship. So all of these girls had the same scholarship. Mm-hmm. And whenever we'd have our scholarship meetings, I always felt like someone's going to realize I shouldn't have gotten the scholarship. They're going to take the money away. Mm-hmm. And then there were all these girls that were in my classes and they were passing and I wasn't, I shouldn't have gotten the money. Uh, wow. I shouldn't be here. And I really do think it was just my own negative self-talk that added to me failing a 
self-fulfilling prophecy. But and I add that because I wanted to focus on how the system is stacked even more when you hold more of those identities. And like it meant specifically women of color in STEM, because that's just a, an area that I'm really interested in. Mm. Right. So according to the Pew Research Center, nine percent of all women in STEM are black women. Eight percent are Hispanic women. Thirteen are Asian and 67 percent are white. Mm. Yeah. Three percent identified as other. Mm. So women are already underrepresented, but women of color are even more underrepresented. Mm. Right. So going back to that example of I was the only woman of color in that hall that was also biochem. Mm. Yeah. And one of those girls, she was in biochem. She was an accounting major, but she still went and studied with them. At one point, she looked at me when we were talking about having been in high school together and not together, but having been in high school and having been in national, what is Honor it? Society. No, the one where national like- National Merit Scholar. Yes. Okay. So I was not a National Merit Scholar, but I was a National Hispanic Scholar, mm. which the bar is lower. I don't know how I feel about that. But when she, when I clarified to her like, oh no, I wasn't National Merit. I was National Honor. She looked at me and she's like, oh, because I was going to say you were National Merit. Not even I was National Merit. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's like little instances like that, that it's like, yeah, what am I doing here? Yeah. Like, I shouldn't be here. And I know I had those feelings often as a woman in graduate school. But looking around my department, there are other women. They weren't in my division, but there are other women. Mm-hmm. But there are only one or maybe two American women of color in our entire department. And Mm. so I can imagine that feeling would have been significantly amplified if there was no one else who looked like me, you know. And those percentages uh, found by the Pew Center, they're pretty much the same across all fields. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the the feeling of I'm an imposter. It's just exacerbated even more by all of these um, environmental pieces of I'm the only one. And then I wanted to focus specifically on hair when I have curly hair, but I definitely don't want to assume that my experience is the same as someone who is a black or indigenous and their hair is a little bit differently. Mm. But I was just shocked to learn that California became the first state to prohibit discrimination against workers and students based on their natural hair in 2019. Oh, wow. So when you say that this have a law yeah. against discrimination against hair in 2019, What do you mean against natural hair? So there were several um, instances that were documented to get this law passed of women and men who wore dreadlocks or braids or just their natural curly hair. And they walked into their place of work or school and they were told that is not professional or that does not meet our student dress code. Mm. So you're suspended or we're going to fire you because we don't find your dreadlocks to be professional. And I want to clarify, too, when we talk about naturally curly hair for women of color, this isn't something their hair is not kept. It's they've kept their hair. It's washed. It's clean. It's presentable. That is the the person we're talking about. I've used this example before and people said, oh, well, if I went into work and I didn't do my hair also, but that's not what we mean. No, Mm -hmm. it's just like is done. Their hair as they either as they were born, just literally what comes out of their head, or they have like braids that they went and paid a ton of money for and Mm -hmm. spend a ton of hours getting their hair done. Yeah. And they still showed up to work and they're told, yeah, that's not professional. You're fired. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine like being that person that's like, oh my gosh, I feel so so lucky to be here. I hope they don't find out. I don't actually like qualify. 
and then they're like get fired for their hair. Yeah. yeah. Like as insignificant as their hair that has nothing to do with how good they're at their job and how knowledgeable they are, how much experience and how much like expertise they have. Right. Is what what gets them fired. Yeah. That's yes. crazy. Yeah. And many people I know, men specifically, would literally roll out of bed and come to work in labs. Mm-hmm. With their hair, I think it's a little different in grad school. I would never have done that. But with their hair clearly uncombed, unwashed, Mm -hmm. they were lacking basic hygiene. And this is not that situation. It's just their hair clean presented. And that's still not good enough. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the standard is so different is really unbelievable and heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that was just three years ago, I think that's the most shocking. And even with that, I, as I read more about it for this episode, I learned that the law didn't actually like go into effect until 2020, which as we all remember is when we, if you're a white collar worker, you started working from home, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. means that the impact of this uh, new law hasn't really been felt. Yeah. Yeah. So even like as we speak right now in 2021, I'm not sure um, how impactful it has been because for so many of us, we've been working from home. Yeah. 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 But so that law, it's called the Crown Act. And it was considered as a law, like I said, because of series of high profile cases. And I have a few marked. And the ones that I have marked are from school just because it, I can imagine how much more impactful it is to be a kid and to Mm. be suspended because of your hair. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2017, two sisters in Massachusetts were giving detention because their school determined that their their braids violated school policy. Mm. And that same year, the state of Massachusetts found that refusing to hire someone because of their dreadlocks is legal. Legal. Whoa. Yeah. And I imagine for the state of Massachusetts to even have to say, hey, you can do this. This is legal. It means that it must have happened somewhere. Yeah. And they took it to court and the court still said, yeah, you can fire them. It's okay. In, yeah. In 2008, a six-year-old in Florida was suspended because of his hair again. Just last year, an 18-year-old in Texas was also suspended for his dreadlocks and the school was set on their decision. He was going to miss his prom and graduation. And Ugh. in order to go to it, he actually just changed. He withdrew from that school district and enrolled somewhere else. Oh Man. my gosh, that's heartbreaking. Ugh. So again, like I don't have the stats, but men of color graduate from high school at a, a lot lower rates than their counterparts. Mm. So can you imagine like you're graduating, you're doing it, and then it's like your hair is what's keeping you away. Yeah. Like, I cannot imagine. Yeah. Just like talk about like feeling like an imposter. Yeah. And so we've been talking a lot about hair and women and women of color, just how they experience uh, imposter syndrome at higher levels because of the discrimination they experience at a systemic level. Mm. But I also like, I always want to make sure we know that everyone experiences this. Yeah. Mm. So I want to make sure that that's always there as a therapist, like, if you're feeling like an imposter and you're like, well, this episode isn't for me, like don't feel that way. Mm. No, this episode is for you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's for your life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the last thing I have on the Crown Act is that since California did the first law, only New York and New Jersey have enacted um, similar laws and 22 additional states are considering a law, but haven't actually done it, mm. which means that in 47 states, you can fire someone because of their hair. Wow. Yeah. And there's been some opportunities to pass it as a federal level in the last year and it has not passed. Dang. So can you imagine trying to feel like you're a professional and thinking, oh, well, at a federal level, they're saying that someone can fire me because Mm -hmm. of this. Yeah. 
And I've gone to school for whatever I've gone to school for and mm-hmm. I've gotten my degree and I've gotten whatever job and someone can still just fire me because of my hair, not yeah. because of what I know or how good I am at my job. Yeah. Right. That yeah. is so weird. Yeah. And so I mention all of those things again to emphasize the environmental piece. Like sure, maybe at some point when we were hunting lions, we genetically felt the need to consistently try to do better to survive. And maybe that feeling stuck there and that's the imposter syndrome. Mm. And maybe we'll have it when we're little in one way or another, but a six year old who's suspended from school because of their hair is going to have that feeling a whole lot more often than someone who can just go to school and be who they are and feel loved and feel valued. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I could go on and on, but I want to hear a little bit more from Gem and Melissa so I know earlier I asked about like the last times that y'all felt like imposters, but I just kind of wanted to he- hear a little bit more about y'all's experiences and how you might feel competent or imp- incompetent in this podcast. And Melissa, you already touched on it a little bit I earlier, did. so yes. that's perfect because I wanted to hear about it. So we want to expand. Yeah. So I definitely have experienced this even with a really good work environment that fosters my creativity and where actually my advisors are both women. I think that has gone a long way in helping me believe that I'm legitimate, (laughs) but I do worry that they'll realize it was a mistake to take a chance on me and that I am not as good of a student as they think and they'll regret it. I don't really think I'm going to be fired at this point. There's enough evidence to kind of counteract that, (laughs) (laughs) but that is something I struggle with. And then even on this podcast, I do worry that if a quote unquote, real chemist. And we'll talk about what it means to be a chemist actually in the next episode. But I worry that if a real chemist listens to me, they're going to judge me because they'll know if I get something wrong. And I know that's not really something based in reality because I can't know everything. Mm. And we have a policy that if I do make a mistake, I will correct it as quickly as possible. Mm. And I know that we've put those things in place in many quote unquote, real chemists do listen and enjoy the show, but it is just a fear that I consistently have when I'm telling other chemists about the podcast. I also have really worried at different points, have been racked with anxiety that if I am getting something wrong, if I'm teaching in an area outside my expertise, because we've talked about that, I'm a chemist, but that doesn't mean I know everything about everything. Hmm that what if I'm doing more harm than good? What if I'm spreading fear mongering? What if I'm doing poor science communication? And I've even considered, is it worth it to keep going on this podcast if I'm going to be hurting people? Mm. And I've really had to have people speak into that fear and (laughs) tell me that I'm not an imposter. I do belong on this podcast. I have the knowledge and the expertise to talk about chemistry and I do need to keep going. But I think there are other people who wouldn't have had those thoughts. I think that's, where like some counseling techniques come in and it seems like you've had people help you fight those thoughts. Right. But I would really encourage our listeners. I was going to say our readers, (laughs) our listeners to just really fight the thought that you don't belong. Like Mm -hmm. we just spent the last, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes learning about how it has to do with your environment. So the next time that you feel like what I'm doing isn't okay or it's, hurting someone or someone's going to find out, just fight it. Like you're there for a reason. And then if we look at the numbers and 98% of women feel that way, then just find another woman that's in the room and say like, Hey, I'm feeling this way. (laughs) Can you, can you help me out with it? Yeah. And if you're a man, you can do that too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
I was going to say a story that came to mind for me, uh, as I said a second ago, I still definitely experience imposter syndrome phenomenon effect or whatever. But I remember this story that came to mind from when I first got my first job out of college. Mm-hmm. I got hired hourly as a video editor for a nonprofit that I really liked and was excited about and hoped to continue working with. And I was also just navigating the new feeling of being out of school now and working for the first time right. post, you know, graduation and stuff. And, and I just kept feeling so, yeah, like I had tricked them into hiring me right? and I wasn't great at what I was doing. And especially with something really technical, like video stuff, I feel like I knew, I knew the software better than almost all my classmates when I was in school, but suddenly mm-hmm. I was in an actual work environment. Right. And I just felt like it was so easy for me to feel like I don't know what I'm doing at all. Right. And, and when are they going to figure out that I don't know how to make the best videos and make, you know, have it draw the most donations for the nonprofit, all that kind of stuff. Right. And I was explaining these feelings to a friend of ours that we all know named Ryan and that was the first time I ever heard the phrase imposter syndrome. I didn't know it was a thing. I was just felt like I just hate this and I feel so horrible every day. And I kind of dread going to work, not because I don't like the work, but because I just don't feel like I'm supposed to be there and stuff. And he told me about that feeling that he felt it so much too. And I just didn't know. It makes such a difference to have like language for something. Yeah, right. Even if that phrase is imperfect. I can't tell you guys how much it, how much it helped me and hopefully you listeners as well, just to know this is a real thing that almost everybody has experienced, even though the experiences in the amount of it can vary from person to person. Right. It makes, it made me feel so much better just to know that like there's a real word for this and it's normal and other people experience it too. And I don't need to feel like I'm the only one and just stuff like that. And that story has always stuck with me anytime I'm talking with someone else who's sharing similar feelings with me. Or when I'm in a new environment and I feel that in a new all over again kind of way, I'm like, okay, remember whenever I was told about this and I'm sure other people have felt this way. Right. And I don't know, just that, that story's always stuck with me, but it makes a big difference to have verbiage yeah. and language and, and, and to talk about it with other people and then for them to say like, oh, I felt, I feel that too. Right. Yeah. That is just so helpful. I definitely think that's an outlet that men have less that, Men don't talk mm-hmm. about imposter syndrome yeah. as much. I remember I sat in a presentation about imposter syndrome and they said there's this percentage of men who feel that they're imposters, but there's this percent of men who talk about it and it was significantly smaller. Mm-hmm. Whereas women, there was a higher percentage who felt that way, but a higher percentage who felt comfortable telling others yeah. about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's a unique hurdle. I want to touch on like putting the names to something Mm. earlier when I heard Melissa talking about like all of the thoughts that she had, I was like, Oh, you're doing black or white thinking. You're doing all or nothing thinking. Mm. And it's not all or nothing. Life is so full of gray. Right. Mm. Like maybe there's one episode when you said something that wasn't completely 100% accurate. Right. But that doesn't mean that you're harming your listeners. (laughs) It's not all or nothing. And I know that for science, but it's hard for me to know that about myself or my effect on the world. Mm. Oh, for sure. Mm. So if you are a scientist or if you are a professional person working who has these feelings, I guess we want to wrap up by saying you're not alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you do belong in that environment or you wouldn't have gotten there. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're concerned about doing a good job mm-hmm. shows that you really do care about the place you're working in. So don't feel like you don't belong and keep going because we need more people to be in science and to be in the professional world who do really care about the job that they're doing. Mm. 
And if you need someone to talk about it, you can always email us or try to find someone else who's experienced that and talk to them because that is really helpful. And if you're seeking for therapy, Psychology Today is a really good website to find therapists. So I get a lot of people say like, hey, do you know someone? I was like, I don't know too many people. Yeah. But if you go in Psychology Today, you can always find they're all over the nation. I don't know if they're outside of the United States because I know you have cool listeners that all over the world. We do have cool listeners all over the mm-hmm. world. <laughs> yeah. But definitely therapy super helpful to help you fight yes. those thoughts of I don't belong or even trying to understand how it's your environment that's making you feel like an imposter and it's not yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I do go to counseling and it has really helped. So we want to take this stigma away from that. That's helped me succeed. That's helped me create this podcast. Mm-hmm. That helps me continue to believe that I can be in the spaces I'm in. And I also go to counseling. So oh, me too. There we go. Well, We're three for three. Yeah. So that's the message I want you guys to leave with that, you know, you belong in these spaces and you should go to counseling if yeah. you are feeling this way mm. and try to fight those thoughts. But I did want to see if you have any, Vianette, if you have any coping mechanisms yeah. that people can use to help fight those thoughts. Cause just fighting them without evidence can be really difficult or mm. I'm really good at finding evidence to agree with them. Yes. <laughs> so I wondered what your thoughts were. Yeah. I think relationships are really, really important. As a therapist, I actually practice from a theory that says that health, uh, emotional health comes from relationships. Mm. So Melissa, like you were saying, like you had people speaking to you, even just sitting here talking with y'all about it. I already feel like, oh, maybe, maybe I am a, an expert. Maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I do belong in this field. Yeah. So something like talking to your friends, to family, building strong relationships where you can share some of uh, the thoughts that you're having. That's really, really important. And then trying to find small evidence that you are doing a good job. So you were saying that you can find a ton of evidence of how you're doing a bad job, but I'm sure that there's equally amounts of evidence that say like you're doing a good job. So I'm sure your listeners like send in emails and say how amazing you're doing. But then there's a one listener that says like, Hey, actually in this episode, this is what you should have said instead. And that's going to stick with you because our brain, I don't know if this is genetically, but I know in my classes we learned like we just naturally, the negative sticks with us a lot more than the positive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you actively have to go and find those positives. My sister made a file for any time anyone said something kind or encouraging Mm -hmm. on her email. Mm. And we'll put it in that file so that she can look back at that anytime something, you know, she starts to feel this way. Mm. That's a good idea. Yeah. And then the other thing, like we talk so much about the environment. So look around you and try to figure out what it is about where you're at that maybe is adding to that internal feeling. Mm. Yeah. And maybe just talk it out, see if you can change it, see if you can have someone else become aware of what's happening and speak up if you see it happening to other people for sure. Right. But I think we spent so long talking about the environment. So that has to be something that we do as well. Mm -hmm. Those are really great ones. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Vianette, for coming and sharing with us today. Absolutely. Before we go, can we do that thing where you say that you're a chemist and I'm not? Because <laughs> every time I listen to the show, I say it in my head. So a hundred percent. Let's do it like our normal one. And then just after me, you say whatever you want to say. So okay. like boom, 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 boom. Okay. Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm Vianette. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And I'm not either. Nice. But you are a counselor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> LPC in the house. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Vianette, for coming and leading this discussion about imposter syndrome effect phenomenon. It has been really helpful for me. And I know that other people talking to me about this when I was budding in my chemistry career and even now 
really encourages me to continue in the path I'm on. So I really hope that that has been your experience today for those of you who are listening. And if you have any questions about imposter syndrome or thoughts or ideas, please feel free to write it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for coming. And I love this topic too, because obviously we have a really interesting mix of audience. We have a lot of people, you guys who are studying some science and hoping to go into that at some point, or you already are in it, or you're like me and you're not in some sort of science field, but you just like science. Right. And so this is a sort of freebie in a sense that this applies to so many fields, all fields, all types of people. Right. And so hopefully you got something out of it that applied to you. I know I definitely did. So Vianette, thanks for for sharing with us. Thank you for having me. And like Melissa said, if you have any thoughts or ideas on this topic or any other topic, you can write in to us on Gmail, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chem for Your Life. That's Chem, F-O-R, Your Life to Share Your Thoughts and Ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to ko-fi.com slash Chem for Your Life and donate the cost of a cup of coffee. If you're not able to donate, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini, Vianette Garza, and Jam Robinson. References for this episode can be found in our show notes or on our website. Jam Robinson is our producer, and we'd like to give a special thanks to Vianette Garza, our guest on this episode. Mm-hmm.